welcome to the exhaust notes podcast what is good everyone welcome back to the exhaust notes podcast we are here to talk some formula one it's been a pleasantly surprising race weekend in a number of ways a lot of positive things happened a lot of surprisingly positive things that todd is going to tell us about but we've also got a lot of drama to talk about these catty bitches Todd, let's just get into it. Well, we're off the rails already. Are we not going to do the race order or any of that stuff? Or we can, we can do that. My you Google's can even ask us how walk. we are, Nick. We're just, we're just gonna yeah, skip. How, how are you guys doing? It has been a couple of weeks actually. I'm, I'm so. terrible now. I'm, you didn't even <laughs> ask. I have to like bring it up. I didn't. Well, to be we fair, we work. did we did do a little of that before we got started. So <laughs> you know, just so the people know, I'm not a complete asshole here. <laughs> Nick Engvall might be the third biggest asshole I've met in my life, but let me tell you, there is no bigger asshole in this podcast than when Todd Yates for saying, "Let's talk about our feelings." This is a racing yep. podcast. We're here to race. God damn it! I'm sorry. We're definitely getting that E for explicit this week, and I don't know why. May have been because I just woke up and I'm a little uh, punch drunk, if you will, of like, huh, what, what am I doing? What am I doing? I need to hit anything that moves, but we can go ahead and do that. So without any further ado, for the Brazilian Grand Prix of 2022, up first, we had George Russell in first place, then Lewis Hamilton in second, third was Carlos Sainz, fourth was Charles Leclerc, fifth was Fernando Alonso, sixth was Max Verstappen, followed by Sergio Perez in seventh, Esteban Ocon in eighth. Valtteri Bottas in 9th, Lance Canadian Stroll in 10th, Sebastian Vettel in 11th, Zhou Guanyu in 12th, 13th was Mick Schumacher, 14th was Pierre Gasly, 15th was Alexander Albon, 16th was Nicholas Latifi, 17th was Yuki Tsunoda, and then the three DNFs of Lando Norris, Kevin Magnussen, Daniel Ricciardo. You happy, Todd? Are you happy? Are you not entertained? Are you no. not entertained? Okay. I'm not entertained. I'm, I'm very entertained. This was the best best race of the season for two reasons, which Nick alluded to. Let's talk about two feel-good moments quickly before we go into the drama. K-Mag, Kevin Magnuson was on his couch days, maybe a week or so before the season started. They called him up. Hey, hey you want to race for us? He's like, cool. And that boy got a whole position this weekend. God, that was a, we haven't had a ton of feel good moments uh, this year, and that one that like him, I know he was like in the garage when this happened or whatever, but him hopping out of the garage or had or his car in the garage and that like pure emotion of him just like slapping the car and like raging was so cool to watch. And I guess like they were talking about in the commentary this weekend that Haas kind of has like a small fan base in Brazil because of. Uh, it's their reserve driver and they don't have any Brazilian drivers on the grid right now so it's like kind of a de facto fandom there for Haas Um, so that was cool and then we had uh, Georgie boy, Mr. Latte uh, get his first win and that was as weird as as he is um, it it was cool to see him get his first win because it was a long time coming and for everyone that's been watching for a while, he's, you know, like his first, what was it? His first points in Portugal, Turkey, something like that. And he was in 10th during a safety car restart. And then he like was warming his tires up and slid into a wall when he was on his, 
on his way to get his first points. And then his first time in the Mercedes, when he was standing in for Hamilton, he uh, had the like the slow, slow pit stop, the puncture, all that stuff ended up DNFing out of that race. So it's been a long time coming for him to get his first win. So it was cool to see that feel good moment, emotions, all that. Sorry. Definitely. We can stop talking about emotions now, Rohit. No, that's we can't. Not, not yet. I'm too emotional now. <laughs> I'm emotionally invested in these emotions. The best part about this is the emotions, right? Like we have been basically watching, you know, not to say that the guys at the front are not emotional, but we've been basically watching. I say this lovingly robots like Max and Lewis at the front. Other than Ferrari messing things up all season this year, like Max and Lewis are so dependable and so like get it done that you don't see the emotions. And when they win, it's not as it's not as like free, you know, it's not as like loaded with emotions in any way. So like, yeah, I I also was going to say the one thing that was really interesting about K-Mag getting a pole position was actually when they were talking to him on the radio as he was still still out. And he was like, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, you know, like kind of <laughs> yeah. like, like, I'm not ready to celebrate quite yet, but yeah. like, okay, it's come, you know, you could hear it in his voice, which was really great. Um, but yeah. And honestly, like kind of two wins for George, right? Wins the the sprint on Saturday too. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, mean, technically that was a race win, but it wasn't a Grand Prix win. Yeah. Yeah. Which is but it was just really show. impressive how well he drove this weekend. Like. Yeah. And to boot, like, what was it, like 12, 13 laps to go? Hamilton's behind him, bearing down on him. Yeah. And he's like the greatest of all time. I mean, numbers wise, whatever you want to say, if if you don't think he's the greatest of all time. Numbers wise, he is the greatest of all time. Um, So you have statistically the greatest of all time bearing down on you. And he didn't put a foot wrong. Like right. no, and, and racing at a track that that Lewis just became an honorary citizen of the country because he's so GD popular there. Like everything was pointing to Lewis is going to make this miraculous comeback for this last few laps, and George was like, "I've got ice in the veins." Until once again, going back to those emotions, until you started hearing him cry in the car in the car, and he's like over whelmed with joy and they're like yeah don't worry about it let it go you know and then he gets out of the car and he's still like just like tears you know but it's just like i love seeing that level of passion and seeing people get to that because it you know we see like the end result of 20 plus years of these guys sacrificing everything about their life to be able to drive a formula one car we don't see the 350 days a year that they're working out driving driving cars that the, driving carts driving you know like working their way up all those things and yeah it was just a beautiful thing this is like this is like one of those weekends where i like legitimately was like i told aaron i'm like it's one of the best races of the year to me just because you got to see a lot of things a lot of people work their way back through the field a lot of like different people floating around uh, you know some people like Lando and Danny Rick floating a little too far into other cars, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> you know, every time I think uh, Team Papa is about to turn a corner, they really just run into the corner. But that's neither here nor there. I will say this: with probably the exception of Valtteri Bottas, I think everybody's happy for George Russell because there is a certain joy and kinship that each driver feels whenever they get to be a part of somebody's first race. 
I kind of went through the proceedings last time. We had a brand new driver win the race. I think it was Carlos Sainz this year. Prior to that, it would have been Esteban Ocon. And it is one of those things where these guys have enough tendencies to make some frenemies, let's say, on the grid. But truly, to a man, to a person, everybody's happy when somebody gets that maiden win because it allows them to be enshrined in this rare fraternity of sportsmen. So kudos to George. And yeah, now it's going to be really interesting because... I feel that he should have at least gotten one podium and this felt almost like a lifetime achievement award for this season. Not to say that he wasn't great because he was great, but he did definitely deserve that one moment in the sun. So I'm glad he got it. Ironically, in Lewis's second home race, so take that, Max Verstappen. You can have the whole rest of the world and Lewis is going to take England and he's going to take Brazil in this weird game we want to call Formula One Risk. Well, now that we're talking about Max versus Lewis, segue, uh, I'm going to ask for a one-word answer or like minimal word answer here, and then we'll go into it deeper. So the incident between Max and Lewis. Lewis penalty, Max penalty, a racing incident. Who wants to go first? I will tee up my brother from another in blue and I will say this is a racing incident. This is something that I think is pretty commonplace during most races. And it's also a cop out in a sense for me because I don't want to pick a side. I'm tired of picking a side and getting vilified on Twitter, on our discord, on your favorite social media, on your least favorite social media. I just think this is just two guys going at it and one of them is not going to go as well as the other. So we learn from it and I'm also hoping this stokes the fire because I want to see some good old Max Lewis content, especially going into next year, where this is almost feeling like Mercedes's culmination of a year where even though they had an off year, they're about to get, what do we want to say, second or third in the constructors? Nick, what do you think? I mean, when I watched it before I saw the replay, it was like racing incident. Kind of just it it, it was so close, you know. Uh and then I was telling Todd, like after I saw Max and Ocon being replayed on Twitter, you know, a thousand times today, it was like, well, that was literally the exact same. It's literally like the exact same everything about this situation, but Max on the other side and Ocon, you know, or yeah, like was it Ocon? Yeah, Ocon, yep, Ocon. was the one that was 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 you know, uh, in Max's position this time around, and to me, that's like. I don't know, like these guys all think that they're, you know, the one that gets away with all the breaking of the rules and all the, you know, like you never hear like, or I should say, rarely do you hear someone admit that they were at fault. I know Danny Rick and uh, Alonzo both admitted faults over the past couple of days, but like I, I definitely was thinking that it was just going to be a, a a racing incident. And then once I saw that, it was like, okay, yeah, I feel like the the, the penalty was was justified. What about you, Todd? My initial reaction was kind of, kind of the same. Uh, to you, it was just racing incident off the bat. I was a little shocked to see that it was a max penalty. Um, I mean, I know, I guess the race stewards or whatever have more data than we're able to see, like angle of the wheels throttle positions things like that like they could tell in a sense maybe if max 
drove into Lewis, which I don't think it was. I still think that Lewis should have given Max more room. Like in the, it's in the rules that they're supposed to leave at least a car's width from themselves to the edge of the track, the white line, whatever. We know that never really happens, but like Max was at least marginally ahead going into turn one. So Lewis obviously knew he was there and he took the route he was going to take, you know, trying to box box out uh, Max. And I mean, you could say in Lewis's defense that Max should have known that he was going to cut into that, you know, he was ahead. So he, Max should have backed out of that because we have seen actually Lewis back out of those situations um, or at least go off the track to avoid contact with Max. But I still think it was like 51% at least more Lewis's fault than it was Max. But at the end of the day, if you play it at full speed racing incident, right? I think that was the call. And I was surprised to see Max get a penalty there, but it didn't really matter because Max got the worst of that anyway. He lost his front wing, had to pit, and then had to fight back, you know, fight back up from the back of the field. Yeah. I mean, before we get into the rest of the race, the Red Bull pit crew, like, I don't know if we ever will see historical data on the performance of pit crews, but this year's pit crew in that Red Bull garage is like, they're from like a different planet (laughs) compared to everyone else. Changing the nose in like under 10 seconds. So like all their stops, except for one stop today was like under 3.3. I think or under 3.2, I think. I think one of the guys, I think Checo had a 3.3, which that's slow for them. Like we we're expecting like 2.5s from them this year. Yeah. And I was just like, fuck, like it is wild how consistent they have been. That's why they work out so damn much. It looks so funny when they do it, but they, <laughs> <laughs> the pit crew works out like a ton. But yep. I, I think uh was it Ted Kravitz? During the race that was saying that's gotta be some sort of like a you know world record. That yeah. he doesn't think it's he's ever seen in the history of him commentating or reporting on F1, a team change a nose and do a pit stop in less than 11 seconds. And they did it in 10, which was, yeah, yeah that's wild. That's the amount of effort it takes to get the car off the ground without the, you know, with the nose broken, et cetera, et cetera. That's crazy. Yeah. No, I was going to say, if you had asked me, one of Red Bull's core competencies is their pit crew because it seems every year they have the fastest pit time and it gets quicker and quicker. Like, wasn't the pit window this year 2.2? And I want to say it might have been a Red Bull pit stop. And it's one of those things that I wonder how many points they've caused the team to earn just because of how overall efficient they are at their execution. And compare and contrast that with everybody's favorite whipping boy, Ferrari. Like, I wish Ferrari would have a pit crew half as good as Red Bull because I think the gap in the constructors and possibly even some of the driver's championship stuff would have been halved, but they truly are on another level, the same way their drivers have been this year. So kudos to Red Bull for just being overall operationally excellent. Actually, the fastest pit stop all season was Danny Rick from last last race. Oh, is that when he ran into somebody? It's like, I need to justify... Well, let's not like take it immediately negative. Come on. I'm trying to give Danny Rick some credit before he's off the grid. He had Actually, the best, he didn't do anything. He, had the he best didn't do anything except okay. stop in the right place. But 
they, they, he did a, it was the fastest pit stop all year so far since they changed the regulation. And it was a 1.9. Damn. I must've missed yeah, that. I missed that yeah. There was a whole breakdown actually uh, on F1 TV in the tech talk from last Actually, no, it was the tech talk, I think, from this race because it's about last race. Sam Collins goes into a whole breakdown on the pit stop and it's they they play it like frame by frame. It's it's pretty yeah. crazy. Definitely give it a watch if you have time. Yeah, I definitely will. It's it's crazy though, because that puts so much pressure on the other teams. You know, like like obviously you see the drivers, you see the pace, you see the lap times, the you know like the sector times, all of it. Right. So all of it is about pressure, but when you're racing for, you know, 60 laps or 71 laps, whatever it is, depending on the race, the the most like obvious thing for the other teams is seeing how fast the other teams next to them in the garages turn the, turn it around. Right. And I think that's like even more, like the working out thing is interesting to me too, because psychologically I think like Red Bull is playing on a different level this year, because like that is something that don't get me wrong. Like they all do some sort of that type of stuff for the teams, but I feel like Red Bull is like more in your face about it. And you know, that affects some people, maybe, maybe not everybody in that garage, but I guarantee you it affects a few people throughout every team to see it every time. It's either like, damn, they're going to kick our ass or damn, I'm going to go work for them after, after my contract here is done, you know? And like, look, it's just human nature to, to like have those thoughts and feelings around that stuff. So to me, it's like the, the levels of psychological warfare and pettiness that exists between these teams is like the greatest drama. The fact that this is a total pure jealousy comment, but the fact that they can whip around like a 40 pound tire, like it's nothing like and change it in literally less than two seconds and they're smart enough to like figure out, you know, fluid dynamics to how to make the car go faster. Cause the, all of those people in that team are also engineers, mechanics, et cetera, of some sort. So just F them. Like they can't be good at everything. <laughs> you mean F1? I, mean, I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking that today actually, because uh, I don't know if you saw it, but when. Uh, when Danny ran into K mag on that first lap, one of the wheels came off of one of the cars and one of the, the track workers was like, I mean, he was, uh, God bless him. He used every ounce of muscle that he had to get that wheel up and over the wall. And I was like cracking up at it. Not, not that I would do any better, but like, it was just funny to see because you don't ever see that aspect of the cleanup. You know, it's usually like, Oh, let's, let's show the, show the, you know, the, the teams in the garage, yeah. let's talk to Toto, let's distract from what happens, which made me think exactly what you said. It's like the normal human being like that guy, like me, is like, oh, my God, I've got to lift this and get this over a wall of tires. I might die today from this, from <laughs> attempting this. And the Red Bull team, the, all those all those crews, right, are like whipping those tires around and rolling around the garage. You know, it's just like it's such an amazing thing when you really think about what that means. Now I was hoping somebody would have taken that montage or made it a montage and set it to like chariots of fire. And I was hoping there'd be like multiple efforts <laughs> to try to throw the wheel across the wall. And then it comes down and it's like, tch, 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 tch. and then finally when my man hits that perfect trajectory, that perfect arc, 
it crescendos into a nice moment. I was going to ask you, do they performance test the pit crews? Because they really should. Because Red Bull has been doing it. <laughs> like, and the performance testing or however we want to call that protocol out, they should be able to take uh, ACT and math. They need to be able to complete a 40-yard dash and 25 reps on the bench at, let's say, 180. And then if there's a certain <laughs> threshold that they exceed, we know they're juicing. Stay off the juice. <laughs> Red Bull gives you wings. Yes. And HGH, <laughs> apparently. Haas needs to get back to that. Uh, that rich uh, energy. Rich energy. <laughs> the richest energy is winning, but I digress. Yeah. That guy is so it's so funny you mentioned that that track worker trying to clean up because he also was trying to clean up the Rolex signs that had come on off the thing and he threw it and it caught the wind and blew back onto the track. And I was like, this dude's just not having a good day. But it's yeah. still not worse. And this is a total tangent, but I don't know if you remember oh God, was it Australia? I think it was Australia. One of the track workers like ran and fell and his pants came down. Like his literally his ass was out on TV. Oh my god! I have to find the clip. I'll put it in the Discord, but it's fucking hilarious. So yeah, (laughs) God bless the track workers and the marshals because they're volunteers, and they don't get paid for us to laugh at them. But the fact that they go out and you know marshal these races, God bless them. Yeah, I I also was thinking as he was throwing that Rolex sign because that was like the third or fourth sign that we got when we got to see him throwing it over. (laughs) And I just kept thinking like. He's throwing these like barely on the other side or even on top of the tire wall. It's just going to blow back. Like they're going to blow right back onto the track as soon as he pulls away, you know, but yeah. I had that same thought. Yeah. So So, uh, nothing else happened. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about Danny Rick. Um, So it came out actually uh, a little while ago. He got a three place grid drop for his incident with uh, K-Mag, yeah, which I feel like this is going to sound insane, but I feel like what K-Mag did by intentionally rolling backwards was dangerous in a sense because Danny Rick was trying to take avoiding action after he caused the wreck. I get that. But he like intentionally was roll, rolled backwards. You could see that he didn't lock the brakes up at all. He was rolling like backwards so he could loop it around and try to come back on track, I think. And that's what caused that second collision. I'm not defending Danny Rick if that's what that sounds like, but what doesn't that... I don't know if there's like a protocol or if there's anything in the regulations. I haven't looked into it about what you're supposed to do if you get spun on track. Like it doesn't say stop where you are or anything like that. But it looked like to me that he was trying to use the momentum of getting spun around so he could roll back and then, you know, like basically clutch kick it and spin the car back around and keep going. Which to me looked dangerous also past like what Danny Rick had already done, which caused that second collision. I mean, that's like an impossible situation to actually have a rule for, right? Because you don't know when a driver had, I mean, yes, we can see that that car rolled back a little bit, right? Not a little bit. He, like, did, he rolled back like 30 well, feet. He didn't hit the brakes at all. 
Right. But you can also see that, like, it, I don't know if you saw the onboard for Mick's car. Like, Mick, Mick was, like, prepared to, like, skyrocket off of the nose of, of K-Mag as he was coming through and made, like, a crazy last-minute swerve to the, to the other side as Danny Rick was trying to get past him on the, on the right side. Yeah. So as the car's rolling backward, Mick literally swerves. Cause there's, you know, like the, the whole grid is right there, right? Like, it's not like this is like the end of the, of the 20 cars. This is like, you know, like what they were like 12, 13, somewhere in that range at that moment. Maybe. I mean, there's, there's multiple cars on both sides of him coming through after that. Right. So like, and take, taking this instance out, like, I just don't think that, that you can really there's so many instances that you could misjudge what happened in that situation. Like not saying that this is the case, but let's say that exact same thing happens. And for some reason, because of that, he, you know, loses his brakes or whatever it is, right? Like you don't know when the driver has full control of the car. I know that this one is not, but like I'm saying to like put a rule in place, for when a car spins, yeah, is no, that's absolutely a good point. impossible. If it did like so, damage the brakes or something, there would be no way to tell Im- immediately. Yeah, so it would be really tough. But but I do think that it was really, I mean, it was just shitty to see both those guys out in the first first lap, right? Because it's like both of them look like they were going to do better this time than they have in the f- past few weeks. I mean, I don't know. We, we obviously had super high hopes for Danny Rick this season, but I feel like. I feel like the last three weeks, three races, I should say, at least have felt closer to him being like somewhat of himself as opposed to like, you know, but yeah, uh, no, I honestly felt more in that scenario. I felt more bad for K-Mag because of the weekend he had with the the shock pole and like during the sprint, you knew he wasn't going to stay up there, but the fact that he stayed in in eighth i think it was he finished so he stayed in the points for the sprint which was i think a really good drive on his part he deserved better yeah. than that in the race and i know that the, the the tap from danny was um like a small mistake and i don't think intentional in any way um but it just had massive consequences but you're right i think it had, that's a really good point like if there was damage to the car or even like a flat tire or whatever like yeah they're not going to be able to do it. So. I mean, I think for this instance, yeah, it, it, it definitely felt like, I mean, I feel like it was unavoidable. Like if he, if he stops right where he is and like really just after I saw that Mick footage of him going in, like the reaction times from the, from the drivers coming through after he's sitting there sideways, it's like, if you're, you know, if, if that's sitting in front of you, do you go right or left? Right. Because it's natural for, for K mag to want to just gun it and get going. Right. He wasn't fully like, it wasn't like he would have had to like spin again to get going the right direction. He was like halfway across the track or facing, you know, perpendicular across the track, which meant he probably could have just spun like, you know, just literally just floored it and, and got back going the right direction. But if he had done that at that same moment, and Danny Rick goes through without the the second collision, then he definitely he definitely runs into Mick. Like there's no doubt about it in my mind. So I feel like it's just one of those shitty things about you know early 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 accidents in any of these races just sucks for everyone. That was lap one. 
That was the first safety car. Uh, then we then we had Lando and was it Max and Lewis or was it Lando was next one of the. Wait, wait, no. Max and Lewis was on the next. Uh, was on the safety car restart, right? That was after the the first lap of the safety car restart. So they got one lap clean after the safety car yeah. restart, and then Max was right on his tail, made the dive. Yep. That contact happened, which didn't surprisingly cause any <clears throat> any uh, other chaos because when Max like got his damage, went off track for a moment, debris everywhere, and then Lewis went around the little escape road. Did you see the cars behind them? It was like five wide at one point. It was nuts. Yeah, it was wild. I thought like yeah. for sure wreck. Yep. <clears throat> and then, uh, oh, welcome back, bro. Um, but then, then we had Lando and Charles, which same turn as the Danny Rick K Mag thing, and Lando, not typical for Lando, totally just punted Charles off. And even kind of more shocking in that is it felt like Charles hit the wall pretty hard and somehow survived. Like I thought was, he was done. I thought that was like game over safety car. Yeah, How did that Ferrari as fragile as we've seen it all season keep going? That was shocking. I mean, this is a low blow and it's too easy, but I got to say it. Ferrari's had a lot of a lot of practice rebuilding those cars this year. <laughs> it's exactly that. Now there's a certain pressure that's off of them because they're not competing for anything. Like what's the best case scenario for Ferrari right now? Second place in the driver's standing? They're 17 points ahead of Merck at the moment. So it is coming down to the last race. Which is cool. Very cool. So here's my suggestion to the FIA and the powers that be. Take Max out of the race. He has nothing left to prove. Just he's won the title. He's won the constructors for his team. Oh, sorry. He and Checo have, which, by the way, F you, Max, for that. Uh, what do we want to call that? A Dr. Helmut Marco impression? Like, that was some pretty stupid stuff on his part. But then at the same time, like, I am at the edge of my seat trying to understand who is going to get second place in the constructors because there may or may not be an adult or a kid's beverage at the end of, at the line of this. So. <laughs> I'm invested. Todd's invested. I'm, Nick's just a great friend. He's going to care just because one of us is going to be in a place of advantage while the other one is at a socially disadvantaged place because they may or may not have a gambling problem, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, actually, it's, it's set, I think it's 17 points between Ferrari and Merck for P2. And it's 17 points between Alpine and McLaren for P3 or wait, P4. Which is saying something because Alpine had what I would consider to be a good race today. McLaren had the double goose eggs and they're still only 17 points behind them. Like that says something to me in terms of Lando Norris might be the best driver that's not on the top three teams. And that's probably the stat that best estimates or emphasizes that point. I mean, I think the, the, the summary of all of this before we get into Charles and, uh, and, and Max running back through the field to, to like finish near the top is that the midfield is like phenomenal this season. The racing in the midfield has been great, but first I'd like to pause and just 
ask what the hell is Yuki Sonoda doing in like the middle of the pack when everyone else had had been let through the pace car. <laughs> I feel so bad, but apparently I feel really bad for Yuki because he it even got beat by Latifi, who was like 37 seconds off the 16th place or something or what he was 37 seconds off the last person or the person ahead of him, I should say in last place. And some, some convoluted rule. And I didn't get a chance to look into this too much, but because of last season, Abu Dhabi controversy, the lapped cars may now overtake thing was only flashed to Albon and uh, whoever else. One other car. Basically, the two people that were lapped. Or there was two out of the three that were lapped. And it's because of when the safety car comes out, whoever is a lap down, when the safety car comes out, may... It was, yeah, Latifi and Albon may be let back through. But because Yuki... And I may be saying this incorrectly, but it has something to do with this rule because Yuki wasn't a lap down when the safety car passed the safety car line for a second time that he didn't get to like unlap himself. So he started to and then totally locked up before they restarted the race. You could see him like, uh, I don't know what to yeah. do. I don't know what to do. And then thank God that he had the wherewithal to when they actually restarted the race, just get the hell out of the way and let everybody that was racing for position yeah, back yep. through. Uh, yeah, it was, it was so funny though. Just like, but especially cause the announcers are all like, wait, is that Sonoda? Wait, is that is Kat? What, what is he doing there? You know? Yeah. I, I saw something about it on uh, the post race show and Sam Collins was talking about it uh, again. And he was trying to explain the rule, but it's super complicated. Um, But it's something about the safety car when it comes out and passes the line again. Whoever's a lap down can unlap themselves. Something like that. (laughs) Which makes sense. Obviously, they need to rewrite that rule. Yeah. But can we talk about... We didn't have any issues without a rule about that, right? You know, there was nothing last year that had any issues with that rule. No reason to rewrite it. Yeah, yeah. Can we talk about Alpine for a second? Because the we have to talk about the radio communication at the end. <laughs> Jesus. No, but like the fact that McLaren shit the bed this weekend for various reasons, and they came away with like actually really good points for this race. Like, granted, the car was fast, it was way faster than McLaren. They probably would have had way more points than them anyway. But that how close they came to not having points this weekend because of the sprint race and this race and like the battle between their teammates. And I know Alonso's like one more race and fuck it, I'm out of here. But they came yeah. so close to not having points or like ruining their races when starting from yeah. the back of the grid in the sprint. It was like, what is going on? Which led to the radio communication that was basically like, do you understand? 
Do you understand? Confirm. No, do you understand? Like, <laughs> can you confirm that you understand what I'm asking you when they were telling Ocon to let Alonso through? And Ocon's like, well, I need to pass. What was it? Botas or, or something like that? Yeah. I guess it was Vettel. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was pretty wild. It was wild to, to, as we're talking about it, I was thinking like, essentially like that aggressive driving from Max, right? It's always okay. Any of these guys, it's always okay from their perspective to be the, the aggressor and point the finger at, at the other person, right? Max is not the only driver that does it. It's just that Max is one of the more aggressive drivers on the track still. But Alonzo, man... That guy is still like a bull everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everywhere he goes, I feel like the rest of the grid knows, oh shit, it's Alonzo. Like, I don't want to take a chance. The same way that most of them have backed off with Max all year long, right? You know, it's just one of those things where they know that they're willing to risk whatever is, is you know, they'll, they'll go farther in the game of chicken than you will. And... There was a moment, I forget when it was in this race even, that it was like, you know, just obvious that Alonzo has that, you know, that fear. All the drivers kind of like get out of the way in a lot of in a lot of ways. Yeah, like Alonzo is very Ricky Bobby. If you ain't first, you're last. Max yeah. is like that as well. I think Lewis has kind of learned to be like that because of his battling with Max over the last couple of years, like which is why we saw that collision. Um, yeah, a- after that restart, but I <laughs> like it's funny you say bull because the fact that that man is is I don't know forty one or something, and I know he's a two time world champion, and everyone gives him that respect. But he continues to operate at that level. And like if he was in a top three car, he'd be battling for wins guaranteed. Yeah. Like he still has all the prowess. He and and, and not only that, but he he finds ways to like circumvent the rules or do things to make the FIA look stupid on race starts or restarts or whatever. And he's just like, well. You, you know, you give the leeway to everybody else. Like, I'm just proving that you have holes in your own system. Yep. And and he's playing chess for sure. Well, and, and you know, he's uh, he's just got like the fire for the competition, right? Like he wants to win still where, you know, there's a lot of guys that are out there that it doesn't feel like they really want to win, right? Like. You know, some guys drive safer than others. Latifi. But with Alonzo, it, <laughs> but it, but it feels like, you know, I mean, just even like Danny Rick, right? I feel like he hasn't been driving to win this season. You know, like it, it, it's felt like he was driving more cautiously than he ever has before, and that's, you know, like who knows what's in somebody's head when they're out there, right? Like, we we can't possibly know all the things that make those, you know influence the, a person's mentality but alonzo is like unfaded by anything like i feel like he will hop out of the car and fight you for you know looking at him th- sideways as you're as he's passing you at 220 miles an hour you know like no problems i, I saw you gave me that dirty look i'm i'm ready to fight if i need to kind of mentality which is you know it's it's crazy because you know just in in the 
to be that competitive for so long, you just don't see drivers. I mean, look, Seb was that way for years. And then eventually it was like, you know, oh, I got, I got more important things to do with my life. And that's usually the case. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Alonzo just needs to sell some more Kamoa hats. You know, he hasn't hit that, that peak success merch level yet. And, and that's why he's like, I gotta look, I, I'm going to be in a car until somebody will not let me get in a car. Well, shameless plug. The host of the crown of stitch podcast has yet to buy a Kamoa hat. So <laughs> I think he's just waiting for you, Mr. Nick Ingball. Damn it. <laughs> and maybe that's why he hates Esteban Ocon, because Ocon does not have a hat friendly head. And I don't know the the spice of which he referred to him as his friend during the race, which was hilarious to me. He's like, ah, yes, our old friend has done it again. Like, yeah, I lost my time wing thanks to our friend. Yeah. The only time you hear somebody refer to somebody like that as a friend is a supervillain or a criminal mastermind. So I definitely think Fernando Alonso, if he wasn't a race car driver, would be both of those things. And I mean that in the most respectful way because he does have a certain bull-like demeanor to just be like, you know what? I see red all the time. I'm going for it. And if you're not, don't be on my track. And I... I am here for Aston Martin, Fernando Alonso, because I think he is only going to get spicier because I don't think that car is going to be up for it next year. And he has had a bit of a career resurgence this year. But once again, not to sound like the broken record I know to be, he is not going to do half as well as he did this year because I don't see Aston Martin putting it together. And when you have somebody like Fernando Alonso on your team that is demanding as a driver, as a teammate, it's going to be eggshell city over there. No, I'm so excited for Aston Martin Alonso because going from one very aggressive teammate in Ocon to a, I don't even know what to call him. A shrinking uh, well, violet, a daisy of a no, teammate. <laughs> absolute psychopath in Lance Stroll, which we have proof <laughs> in the last two races, he almost killed Alonso and then he almost killed Seb this in the, the sprint. Did you? We didn't even talk about that. Like, something needs to be done, yeah. or like, uh, like penalty points, or a race ban, or something, because that's two super dangerous defense defensive driving maneuvers, late defensive driving maneuvers that put Alonso literally like riding dirty on two wheels at 170, and then put literally Seb almost into the barrier in the sprint this weekend, like. He, he drives with no consequence because he knows if he puts his teammate in the wall, his dad's going to be like, all right, well, we'll see you next race. There's a teammate's fault. He, he, like anybody else wouldn't be doing that or risking their position in the team if they didn't have daddy's blank check backing them. Maybe that's the source of his aggression and maybe that's why Aston Martin will be a really fun team to watch next year because you've got Fernando Alonso who has that innate aggression and then you've got Lance Strolovich who has a more manufactured a manufactured aggression. So something has to give, but I don't know. I, after being all about the Seb life, you know, saving the bees, making sure Miami doesn't fall underwater, and then I see that he's got five commemorative t-shirts. I'm like, you know what? I'm a Seb guy. I'll buy one of these. 80 bucks for a t-shirt, Seb. What the hell are we doing? <laughs> you got to pay for those B hotels somehow. But like Nick just said, if if anybody was to try to jump out of their car at 200 miles an hour and punch their own teammate, it would be Alonso. 
I could see that happening next year. Alonzo doesn't give a fuck. He will punch Lance Stroll. Even if his dad owns a team, he will. I can't wait for that team, that, that partnership next season. Do you think this is really Lance Stroll's dad being that chess playing genius while all of us are playing checkers because he secretly wants to get out of Formula One and what better way to do it than to invoke the rage of one Fernando Alonso and be like, it's not us, it's this dude. You know what? Take it. I just I don't know what to tell you because that would be that next level thinking of he's going to get himself out because he's going to do wrong by one of the purveyors of the sport in my mind so kudos to you uh lawrence stroll i almost forgot his name speaking of supervillains, but yeah it's gonna be an interesting team to watch i don't think they're gonna amount to a hill of beans but i'll gladly be wrong because i do want to see somebody get punched in the face at 200 miles per hour (laughs) (laughs) no what they're gonna do is just over the off season copy the red bull make it a super fast car it'll be the pink red bull or something somehow yeah the pink bull Green Bull, whatever. No, no, Pinkberry. They'll get a frozen yogurt sponsorship, so that way they even copy the business plan of their number one rival or sponsor. Yeah, and then they're fighting for best of the rest next year. We're going to have a four-way battle. McLaren, Alpine, uh, Aston Martin, and let's say Haas. Why not? USA, USA, USA. Hey, they got. They're gonna go full budget cap next year, thanks to their new sponsor. So excited. We'll see. Three. So we we haven't talked about Leclerc driving like crazy to get back to the front of the grid, not the front, but the top near the top of the grid. Also, I think I jinxed it because at, at the moment that Leclerc was like sixth or fifth, I said, how is Leclerc this far this far ahead and Max hasn't moved up hardly at all? And then for the next like three laps, Max basically moved up six spots and was like right behind Leclerc. So both those guys drove incredibly. I don't want to, you know, give too much credit because as good as Leclerc drove, he then hopped on the radio talking about points and talking about how Carlos should be pulled from third and Leclerc should pass to take the podium. And I just thought that was, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. yeah, nah. nah I mean, like, I Charles I just, Leclerc, what are you doing? You're, you're supposed to be a nice guy. Like, leave that to the Max Verstappens of the world. And I'm sure we'll talk about Max Verstappen's full heel turn because, my goodness, Checo, if you want to be on that team next year, I get it, man. We all love a paycheck and keep doing you, but... Those are some hostile working conditions if I've ever seen them. But yeah, I think both of those two drivers, they've probably been the two best drivers of the season. So at this point, as much as I'm more of a Carlos Sainz fan than I am a Charles Leclerc fan, I have to tip my hat to him because he's had a tremendous drive this season in spite of everything going wrong all at once. But I don't understand that. Like At this point, just keep it to yourself or save it for the briefings behind closed doors because then you may have a point because he is probably the better driver. I refuse to admit it publicly, but he has that skill. But I don't see what's the benefit of this. And are we just all trying to alienate our teammates next year so that way we can unlock a new competitive fire? Because I always thought that was Ferrari's secret power amongst surviving all the chaos is those two drivers kind of knew what their pecking order was at any given moment. And they were very flexible with that. Yeah. I, yeah. I said it in the discord earlier, like I lost a lot of respect for Chuck today 
Nobody begs to like, hey, give me the podium. I need the points. Carlos was the better driver all weekend. He was faster. And I think today even had a better drive. Like, let's, let us not forget that he had that tear off stuck in his, his brake ducts pretty early on in the race that put him on a three stop. And he still came back through the field twice. So, like, yep. I know Max and Charles really had great drives and came through the field, like, charged the field. Felt like they both felt like kind of a late charge to the field. Like, it was pretty slow progress. But Carlos did it too and and still had the uh, like put the pace on him. So, to me, it's uh, – it, you just can't if it was for like battling for seventh and eighth and that one two points whatever would have swapped things but you're not going to take away a podium from somebody after they also had an equally if not better drive you just uh, oh better by far in my opinion i mean honestly carlos has driven better than than charles for the last like three four races for the most mm -hmm. part I mean, honestly, it might even be longer than that. Like, it's been it's been a while since we saw Leclerc really feel like early season Leclerc, right? I think that's that's such a yeah. I, I didn't like that at all. I, I thought it definitely felt a little whiny. I I understand how you feel about it. I understand, like you know, but like you're four seconds back of him, and Alonso is is like one point three behind him. Max is another 1.8 behind literally slowing down that pace in any way risks so much with those two, the, the two guys that we both, we have all talked about this episode as the most aggressive drivers on the track are right behind Leclerc. So to, to, to like do anything to like risk that to me is like, I'm so glad that the team was like, nah, fam, <laughs> like you're good. Just keep, just get to the end of the race and don't die, you know, like, and really yeah. let, let's be honest, like P2 in the championship means fuck all. Yeah. P2 in the constructors means 12 Money. million dollars or something like it yeah. means a lot to the team. Yeah. So like he should have the wherewithal. Charles is a smart guy. He's a great driver. Yeah. I think he's, you know, very cerebral in his driving as well he shouldn't understand that like the team team orders in that scenario are maximized points. Not like let's take a risk to try to also give you P2 and the constructors, which really doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Or P2 and yep. the driver's championship. Sorry. Yeah. I think the the only other thing that I feel we need to talk about is like Lewis had like a really great race. It was, it was like just consistent, head down driving and i was actually surprised that he survived that little incident with max and mm -hmm. honestly like shout out to aaron and and trev i'm i'm excited to talk about mercedes's potential for the next 12 episodes as we move towards <laughs> next season <laughs> no but uh, that's i don't want to i don't want to feed the feed their hate fuel at all but it does feel like the Merc is finally coming on song here. I know we only have one race left, and maybe that the 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 the, the last couple tracks have suited the Merc or whatever. But ever since they put on the upgrades in Texas, I think it was, 
the they've been consistently on the pace a tenth, maybe two tenths off. It looks like, and they've gotten even better in in this race. Um, obviously, because they had the one two. I know there was other factors that contributed to that, like the Max Lewis crash and and whatnot. But I, it still feels like even if they didn't come together and Lewis left him enough room on that corner or just a little bit more room to where Max had to, you know, either blatantly crash into him or back out of it. Um, it still felt like the, the there would have been a Merc on the top step of the podium, if not both of them. Um, I would agree. But next weekend, I think real the real ultimate test of that, if Merc is up there again, uh, battling the Red Bulls, then why not? Why can't they be the new the new challenger to the throne? It, What's old I is mean, new again, in a sense. Yeah. And the crazy part about this is, for all of our prognosticating frustrations with them, this is as brilliant of a rebuilding season as I think any of us have ever seen, regardless of sport. Because considering where they were at the start of the season, where we were so complimenting them because they were the one team that got points in spite of themselves the way everybody else did. Like we kept saying, oh, this is a professional outfit. There's a certain muscle memory component to them that they just can't help but get points in a race. And now to see it flip the other way where they're earning points and they're probably the best team, especially today. Like I felt this was a culmination of a mission statement in a sense. And yeah, I, I finally start to get the vibe that Toto was right to wear that all-black turtleneck at the end of last season's Drive to Survive and say, no one is safe, we're coming for all your points, because this is the first time that that's actually felt that way. Well, let's 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 not leave out the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room, they absolutely cheated this weekend because Toto was not at the race. The first time I've ever not seen Toto at a race, which clearly was some sort of like, you know, left, left, right, right, up, up, down, down, <laughs> cheat code. Because why else would they have been so successful? Pressure's off, the boss is gone. We can all do our jobs to the best of our abilities now. <laughs> so hopefully Toto uh, like does like a semi-retirement thing. But if he does, I hope that Formula One and Sky Sports can figure out how to fix the freaking audio so we can actually hear him in the interview remotely from wherever he was avoiding the race this weekend. Because they did the entire interview without his audio coming through clear. I don't know if you watched the, that after the race or the interview. Uh, how do you mess that up? You, We give you so much money <laughs> and you can't just like, look, I know the challenges of audio and podcasts and all this stuff, but like you have bazillions of dollars and you can't phone in a friend to be. I don't know. I feel like Todd right now just attacking the, the coverage, <laughs> but it was like post race. Even you, you're you're fumbling the bag when the bag has already been handed to you and you're running away with it. Like what? Anyway, sorry. I mean, not only that, there, they, but... they have that one guy that apparently can do an impression of every single person on the grid. Just call that dude in and be like, hey, we need you to be Toto Wolf for five minutes. Connor Moore. Shout out to that guy. Connor Moore. He made a career for yeah. himself, yes. literally making fun of F1 drivers and they all love it. Yeah, like Carlos Sainz loves it as much as anything Carlos Sainz has ever done. Yep, yep. He even did. All right, we're, we're Stefano Domenicali and did it great. Oh, I don't think I saw that. It was after last My last race. He like they did a skit with Stefano Domenicali and 
Amazing. Where they meet each other as each other or like as the same guy. It's pretty funny. All right, we're about at time, so I think I think we got to talk about fantasy. Well, one line, Max, you're an asshole. Amazing oh, driver. Yeah, Just let Checo through. And then the flip side of that All coin, right. Checo, drive faster so where you don't have to let <laughs> have to be in the situation. Yeah, no, because if he drives faster, they're going to tell him to slow down. And curtsy costs nothing and buys everything unless you're Max fucking Verstappen because that dude's a douche. Sorry, Aaron. Sorry, Trav. I'm going to fuel that hate. Galaxy like, brain better. conspiracy theory. They fuck Checo on purpose by putting him on the mediums at the end of the race. I was going to say the same thing. Everybody knows that. that this, I mean, a- I'm a novice. And I'm like, why are they doing this? Like this dude has been the epitome of a good soldier. And I agree with his assessment that Max doesn't win those titles without Checo's help because Danny Rick didn't do it. Pierre Gasly didn't do it. Alex Albon didn't do it. Christian Horner didn't do it. Dr. Helmut Marco didn't do it. Dietrich, whoever the fuck just died, didn't do it. It was Checo Perez. Well, I read somewhere, and I don't know this where it came from or whatever, but uh, Chekos apparently said was overheard saying after the race, uh, "I it, he's a two time world champion because of me" or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, there is some, like there's a valid argument to that because like I was actually trying to look it up before we started recording, but I posted about it in the discord like who's won for the past like 15 20 years right every driver that's won has had a a take one for the team number two driver next to them right botas for five years or whatever uh mark weber for three or four with red bull behind vettel like i mean there's some truth to that right like a great driver can't win without a driver that, you know, I mean, I'm generalizing, but kind of like blocks the field in a sense, right? Like, you know, you're protecting, you're protecting your guy to a certain extent. And I mean, look, I I think Trevor said it best. Checo, like Checo is not going to be, he knew what he signed up for. hundred percent, you know, driving with Red Bull. And I think all these guys understand how that works. Like it's very hard to to put yourself in a position where you become the number one when the number one guy is is the number one guy. You know, like Lewis is going to be number one until George literally mops the floor with him at Mercedes. Like they might, you know, talk a little bit here and there about George taking over, but like until George is like winning you know, half the races of the season, it's going to feel like Lewis's team at Mercedes. I think the same thing happens all the way across the board, but I think that, you know, I'm just like, look, Checo, as much as we love him and he's probably one of the best guys in the sport, he he signed up to be driver number two. He signed up to be the guy that, that helps Max get titles. And Ultimately, like that's a tough, that's the toughest thing to, to ever do when you've put yourself in a position to be one of the top five drivers in the world. How do you concede that your, your best is number two, right? So to me, you know, at some point he's going to, you know, and it might be happening way sooner than expected, right? Because like, look, Botas 
would have stayed with Mercedes, stayed with Mercedes for what, six years behind Lewis, I think something like that. And, you know, finally said enough is enough. I'd rather race in the middle of the pack and at least have the chance to be the the number one guy on a team. Checo's going to have that same thing. All these guys will have that same choice to make because at some point, like if you're, if you're one of the top 20 drivers in the world and you're in an F1 car, it doesn't matter if the driver next to you is absolutely the best driver in the world right now. Like Max is, you feel like you can beat him. And if you don't feel that way, you're not going to be one of the top 20 drivers in the world. So like, it's like the, the ultimate conundrum for these guys is to be like, Oh, you're second best on the best team. Well, I could go over here and be the best on this team, but that, well, yeah, that's great. But like, if you're the best for Williams this year, that doesn't do you any good, buddy. You, you know, you're not walking away with near as much money. Yeah. So well, the, the first measurement against respect, every driver to be honest. is their teammate. Their first measurement, the first yeah. thing they're compared to is their, their teammate. And then it's their race order finishes qualifying, whatever. Yeah. So do you want to be compared to the, the best driver on the grid or do you want to be ca- compared to like a driver that might be like lower half as you race for a, a, a middle or back of the field team? You know, like yeah, I don't know how you'd make that decision. Checo's not going to, he's going to go home, ask some tequila, realize that he's in the best team in the best car right now and continue to play second fiddle. In the moment, he'll be pissed about it. But again, they they don't it's max's team until it's not max's team danny rick Honey Badger back. He would happily, and this is a sad statement, but I think he would happily go back to Red Bull to to knowingly be like, yep, I'm here to help Max win championships. He'll take the he'll take the odd odd victory here and there, just like Checo gets, and then he'll Oh, Max is gonna pass me? Sure. Right this way, sir. Let me take you to the table right at the front. That sucks. <laughs> it does. Okay. No, I'm I'm joking I mean, about it now, but I'm gonna go cry after the end, at the end of the season. I mean, it sucks for like obviously for for Daniel Ricardo, right? Like, I mean, I think I think the entire world, you know, with very few exceptions, likes that guy and wants to see him succeed. Where like, you know. Easily half the people that watch Formula One absolutely hate Max. Some of them for no reason at all, just because Max is Max. But I think instances like this definitely, you know, show his true colors. And I think that was like the a lot of the conversation on social and in the Discord. And it's like, you know, like, look, you don't you don't become that great without being cutthroat or being aggressive, being the like all of these guys that have won championships were that like fireball attitude when they came into racing. Look Formula back at, at some point shit or another. Schumacher used to pull. Everybody adores him now. Schumacher, Lewis, Senna, Prost, like Jensen Button the first few years. Like all, all these guys, like they have to have that. Like I, I will, I will put you into the wall before I will lose this race mentality. And 
you know, it, it does really suck that as a, as like just a sports fan, I feel like there does need to be respect between a driver and a team the same way that you would have respect between, you know, a coach and a, and a player in any other, you know, team sport. Um, but I think it makes it even worse because we hear all of the radio conversation to like showcase just how bad it was. And then you talk to Max afterwards and he's like, I already gave them my, my answers. I'm not going to tell you my answers and my responses and my reasons, but I already told them that I'm not going to listen to their team orders. And you know, in Max's defense though, Checo was like four seconds back. It's not like he was a half second back. You know what I mean? Totally. Totally. I, I don't think it would have made, made, you know, like, look, if, if you would argue for, for Max, the only reason I would say that it would make sense is because it's team orders, right? <laughs> you know, like at, at the end of the day, like these are the guys that are cutting your checks. How do you not at least play respectful when it, to, to row its point earlier, it means absolutely nothing for him to be in this race. He's literally only in the race to cause harm to Lewis or whomever he's going to like, you know, get into the weeds with, but also like, you know, look, you, you earn the seat, you earn the right and the ability to be the asshole because you've been the best. And yeah, it's just a, such a, it's just a shitty way to see, uh, anyone, you know, to be honest, like to see anybody like treat their quote teammate that way when the rest of the team is saying, Hey, let, let him through like, yeah. But what do you do? Yep. Nothing. We'll congratulate Max on his next two to three championships anyway. All right. Let's talk a little fantasy corner. To wrap this episode up, I'm going to start with the Voldemort League because and I want to give a special shout out to one Nicholas Ingball and Julie Wood, because I'm pretty sure. Those are the only two other people that are still playing this league besides me. And I call myself out a little bit. Uh, I also forgot a couple of weeks to set my lineup and got zero points. So now I'm in P3 of that league and Nick is in P2, Julie Wood is in P1. So, which I think unless Nick and I score like 2,000, 2,500 points in the next race, pretty sure Julie's wrapped that one up for the season. So congrats to Julie on that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I only need 2,000 98 points for the win so that's that was really good math it's like really fast math um <laughs> let's talk about the f1 official discord official fantasy league which i think we had the highest single race points total all season this week wow um Anyway, uh, so in uh, P3 this week, we had Rohit. In uh, P2, we had Alpha Ash Ari using the Mega Drive, 302 points. And in P1, 
Mega, 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 mega we drive. We also had a mega drive used by Aaron <laughs> with 311 points, which I'm not totally sure, but I think that's the highest point total all season. Aaron coming original, like the real 311. What up, dog? Yep. That league has been really interesting to me because I forgot we even had the Mega Drive. So guess what? Next week, my Mega Drive is going to happen. Hopefully, I can leverage <laughs> it. i the same thing. <laughs> Here's the thing. We, as a podcast, are going to do a retrospective after the year is done. I think we may have overexerted ourselves in terms of how many fantasy leagues we actually came up with. So next year, listeners, I can't guarantee you much. We're doing two fantasy leagues just for our own sanity because like Nick has mentioned, like I've mentioned, Mega Drive, Schmega Drive. Sometimes I only do things because Todd is nice enough to remind me, hey, genius, go ahead and do this. And if it wasn't for said Voldemort League exposing my password as my username, maybe I would have been in that league a little bit more. But I digress. How are you feeling though, Nick? Because I know that coming into the season, your whole point was not to be in last place. And I would say you are a very professionally competent fantasy Formula One player because I don't think you're in last place in any of the leagues that I know. I mean, I'm not, but I definitely am not performing well in the official F1 fantasy league. Now, part of that is also just not paying attention to it. I have uh, made changes to the the as todd calls it the voldemort league more frequently than the actual regular fantasy league so i also kind of just love the way our official exhaust notes fantasy league is playing out and i'd rather see the results of that because it's more interesting to me and actually more realistic in my opinion compared to you know trying to deal with the uh the mega drives and super drives and all-star drives and uh you know total values and and all the you know bells and whistles that all these other platforms throw onto their fantasy leagues so i don't know how how about you i too am biased because i feel like i'm the dr frankenstein of this league but let's just go ahead and go through this because this is the only league we have access to because todd is truly the gatekeeper of all things fantasy dare i say mandacy but anyway from a brazilian grand prix perspective in fourth place we had aaron najima with a total of as i saw because this has been one of those episodes aaron najima scored exactly 46 points in third place. Actually, Aaron was in third place because Nick, I hate to say it with the double DNFs of Danny Rick and Kevin Magnuson, you only scored 34 points, which is saying something because for the last couple of weeks, you were running away with this in a sense. You almost challenged Todd. Speaking of Todd, he was in second place with 59 points because Lewis got second. Checo got a decent position. And in fact, he didn't have any sort of DNFs. And I think if there's one lesson learned from our league, it's the fact that the team with the fewest amount of DNFs is probably going to win. And finally, my team actually showed up and I was able to get first place for the week with 65 points. Thank you, George. Thank you, Carlos. And thank you, Seb, Botas, and Latifi for not DNFing because you three have screwed me in a way I can't even think to communicate to our listeners. As for overall rankings of that particular draft and fantasy league. And by the way, next year, maybe we'll send an invite to a couple of you because some people have asked me, hey, can I join this league? It sounds really fun. 
if not, anybody want to buy this fantasy league thing off of us, we'll charge you. We won't charge you too much, but we'll charge you. So in fourth place, we have Aaron Najima with 1,018. In second or in third place, we have Nicholas Engvall with 1,034. Somehow, Nick, I think with my monster drive or my mega drive, I don't know what we're going to trademark our special week. I'm in second place with 1,040. And let's just go ahead and give Todd the title. He's at 1,116 points for the season. That's a solid. He, he's solidly in 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 first. Yeah, impressive. It, uh, like I said, one day when we unlock the video portion of this podcast, I'll do a whole TED Talk slash fifty minute college course on how this thing works because the color coding helps me quantify what truly made a team good versus what made a team pretty shitty. As is my team because I think I lead the league in DNFs. But Nick, do you want to share any last minute pearls of wisdom before we get out of here and probably the most disjointed episode of our series? <laughs> it has been a fun one. I don't have any pearls of wisdom. Other than I'm looking forward to the next race, Abu Dhabi, finish out the season. Uh, there's actually kind of a lot of stuff up in the air that I'm surprised because it, as much as like it felt like the season was kind of like said and done with Max winning the title and Red Bull winning the constructors, like everything else is still up for grabs. So, uh, so let me quickly it. ask you this as we stall for time, hoping that Todd may join us again. What's your podium looking like for Abu Dhabi? I mean, I think I think I got to go with Lewis. He's going to come out hungry because he's he wants to keep that streak alive. You know, he's won a, a race in every year that he's been in Formula One so far. And the Mercedes has been looking pretty good the last few races anyway. So Lewis on the top. I would absolutely love to see Vettel somehow miraculously land a podium in his final race. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think there might be some uh some spice between Checo and Max but I think that uh it's going to be Lewis George and probably Leclerc and I have just a, a, an inkling that Red Bull's not going to be anywhere near the top next week okay and then one word answer who gets second in the constructors got to go with Mercedes Fair. I will answer the same questions I put forth to my co-host. In a non-Max Verstappen world, I'd like to see Carlos Checo George as my top three. Don't think it's going to be possible because I think that scourge Max Verstappen is going to get another race win this year. As for second place in the Constructors, I'll go on the opposite side of the coin. I am the number one Ferrari fanboy. We call it my Stockholm Syndrome, so I'll say Ferrari gets the second place. And lastly... I don't think Toto Wolf is going to show up again. I think he realizes that he's truly been the weak link all season. So he's just going to be like, guys, I'm starting the summer vacation early. You guys figure this out. And the next time we see him, he'll be wearing an all white turtleneck because he's graduated to a new level of transcendental meditation. So that being said, Nick, where can they find you on social media? <laughs> At Nick Ingball on all the platforms. Uh, more importantly, in the Discord, hit the first link wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening to this, I should say. Uh, we don't have video yet, but we will next season. I almost say that's guaranteed. Almost. Perfect. Next season, you, you'll have a, uh, you can find me at Twitter at Rohizi on Instagram, Rodem13. And my addition to next year's festivities will be a slightly more knowledgeable expertise on the sport as opposed to just wildly speculating from the hip and trying to make my co-host laugh. Hey, it's been enjoyable, though. It's been totally enjoyable. Perfect. So. And All I right, think... 
see you guys follow Todd on Twitter Jack Handy Handy Jack T Yeezy (laughs) uh, Crown and Stitch Sneaker History if you have an interest Nick Engvall has a podcast and we're just here so thank you guys (laughs) we appreciate y'all we'll catch you on the next one peace